Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, On Your Life. And today we are speaking with Rachel Braga. Rachel is a wellness coach and she dives into her story, all things about having a young diagnosis of cancer, being a mom of three, the mental health aspect and what she went through and how she really dove into her community for support to help her to find her way. And really she openly shares and talks about her journey with us today as she does in the world. If you don't follow her on Instagram, look through the um, show notes and you'll be able to connect with her because I love how she shows up. She is real, raw, and authentic. And that to me is what this world needs more of. So she is a mom of three. And after losing her her identity, after leaving a career she never really loved, she learned how to make her health a top priority and making her health her career. After finding and surviving cancer, she now advocates for mental health, anxiety, and PTSD, as well as physical health. This is an incredible conversation, and I am so grateful to Rachel for being so real, open, vulnerable, and honest with you today. You're going to love this episode. Welcome to the show today, Rachel. I'm so thrilled to have you here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's dive into where are you from? Other, Not where you are right now, but where yeah. are you from? <laughs> I'm physically in a closet. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I was born in Toronto um, to two immigrant parents. My mom and my dad are actually from a country in West Africa called Angola. Oh, I did not. Not a lot of people know that about me. Yeah. So they were born and raised there. Um, And then in 1975, they were given like um, independence from Portugal. So the the country broke out in a war. So my parents came here as immigrants, Mm -hmm. um, as refugees. Um, And so, yeah, it was, I have to give my parents a lot of credit from where they come from. But um, so, yeah, born in Toronto, lived most of my life in Mississauga. Um, for most of my life until I was nine, um, we moved a lot. My dad was finishing his PhD. We lived in Oklahoma for two years. Um, basically my parents did whatever they could to give us the best life ever because they didn't come from a great life. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm from. I'm wow. a Mrs. Naga gal. <laughs> That's what a what a really cool story in the sense that just the level of resiliency yeah. that your parents would have, you know, really had and and to go through. That's amazing. Yeah, and they came here not knowing any English, very little English. I actually started school not knowing English. <laughs> because we only spoke Portuguese at home. Um, So, you know, as much as my parents and I butt heads, because I'm a very strong-willed person, I have, like, the most utmost respect for everything that they've done to give my brother and I a a better life. Wow, that is so powerful. I can't wait to dive into more of that. Do you have a book that has had an impact on you? That's a good one. I am very much a people pleaser. And so getting over what other people think of me, it's very difficult for me. So, oh, are we allowed using potty language on here? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You bet. Um, I read uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. That's a great book. And it was, it gave me permission just to be myself. Mm -hmm. Um, For so very long, being an entrepreneur, I was kind of putting on this air of what I thought would be um, successful in my industry. And then as soon as I kind of threw that by the wayside and read this book, I started to find my people um, because I was really being myself. 
Mm-hmm. And I think there's more that we can dive into there. I love that because especially in this online space right now, you know, like one of my mentors said, if you thought 2020 was hard to build your business online, 2020, 2021 is significantly harder because it's going to be noisier. Yeah. There's so much more traffic online of people who are trying to build businesses and do things. And the only thing that we have that no one else can take is us. That's yeah. it's, it's truly us. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I love it. Do you have a quote or a mantra or something that grounds you and describes who you are? I actually do. And it's got a bit of a story to it. Um, So from the time my twin boys were very small, I would sing to them uh, Bob Marley's Three Little Birds. And that was our bedtime song. Um, And I I just wanted to end the day with every little thing's going to be all right, because that's my motto in life. Like everything will be all if you're a good person, everything will be all right. So, you know, here comes late 2018. I'm diagnosed with cancer. And I just keep telling myself everything, every little thing's going to be all right. Like my friends started giving me um, like wooden art pieces that had the quote on it. Um, I actually, as soon as I was told I didn't have cancer anymore, I got it tattooed on my arm. So it's a reminder that when I'm in the thick of it, I'm, I'm going to be okay Mm -hmm. because I've done it before. There's so many reasons that I love that. And almost everybody I do speak to on the show, they do have a quote or mantra that grounds them. But that actually just gave me goosebumps when you were describing it, because I just, I can just picture like there's times in our life where we, it's very easy to get stuck in what Mm -hmm. the hell is going on. Yeah. But if we have something that can ground ourselves, then that brings us back. So I absolutely love that. And I started hearing it everywhere. Like yeah. the grocery store was on the radio. I'm like, who still plays Bob Marley? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like literally your future self or whatever you want to call it going like, listen up, Rachel. Here it is. Listen yeah, up. absolutely. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. What drives you and what lights you up? Helping other people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's again, like super eerie story. And I don't know how much I can, you go put stock in this, but my mom went and saw a psychic when I was in high school and she came home and she's like, well, she said you were going to help people. So maybe like a nurse or something. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't do science, mom. I'm sorry. (laughs) But it's funny how my life has come full circle. Um, I sure it's great getting a paycheck and supporting my family. But when I get certain messages in my inbox, like I got one last week of a husband saying, thank you so much for helping my wife live a healthy life. Like she's, she's so happy. Um, I, I love hearing that from people. I love hearing that, you know, you help me get a leg up on life. Mm-hmm. I, I've been there. I've been at the bottom. And it, I was just going to say who helped yeah. you at a time, who is someone who helped you at a time where you really needed it? I mean, there's been certain points in my life where I've always kind of needed someone. Um, I think when it came to my health, I mean, I had my coach, I had the person that helped me, but it was my husband. I had tried so many things to become active and healthy. And I was just so tired with three kids that I finally signed up for an at-home program. And I looked at him and I said, oh, you're doing this with me. (laughs) And he's like, it's Pilates. I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) I need, I need. I need you to force me to do it even when I don't want to do it. Yeah. So he's been, um, he was my person for my, my physical health and then my mental health, especially when I went through my cancer, I had a friend that I knew I could say anything to, and it would never weird her out or make her feel awkward. She was my sounding board, very sick sense of humor, the both of us. So we could kind of like go back and forth, but she was my person that I knew I could Whatever odd thoughts were going through my mind, I could verbalize them to her and it was going to be okay. That's awesome because we all need those people. And I think we all have the opportunity to have those people, but we just have to stay open to creating those relationships. Yeah. And it's just interesting because I was just having a podcast earlier today with somebody and we were really diving into like sympathy versus empathy. And when you're in a really difficult time, you want somebody who has an understands empathy and can hold space for you. They're not trying to fix it. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen and hold space. So we all need those people. Yeah. And I tell my husband that all the time. I, I sent him this meme and it was like, 
when I come to you with an issue, I'm doing air quotes, um, just ask me, are you looking for advice or you just want to talk? And so I can say, right, like, I'll go to him and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, don't say anything. I just need to get it off my chest. I don't need mm-hmm. advice or ideas. Just I need to get it out. So it's nice. Yeah. yeah to have someone just listen. That's that's really good. And that's the power of the communication that you have. Because if I just find, and I just, I know I have men and women that listen, but I can speak from my husband's point of view. I have to literally say, I'm not looking for a solution. Yeah. He's like, then what are we talking about then? Like what? Because <laughs> they they're fixers, it. right? They're fixers. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. well, you don't need a solution. And I'm like, no, I just need you to listen. Yeah. But you already know the answer. Yep. That's right. I do. I just <laughs> just me. Oh, I love it. All right. So let's dive back into, can you take us back to your cancer diagnosis and what that was, what that time was like for you and just wherever you want to go with it? Sure. Um, so it was about summer of 2018. Mm -hmm. I was the fittest I'd ever been. I was the happiest I'd ever been. I was healthy. I was active And then about mid-July, I just wasn't feeling great anymore. And it just didn't make sense considering all the great things I was doing for myself and my health. Um, I was bloated. I I honestly looked pregnant by the time I had gone to bed each night. I was nauseated all the time. My mom had just been diagnosed with H. pylori, which is actually a gut bacteria that about 80% of the population has and they don't know. Mm -hmm. So my mom's like, maybe you have it. It lies dormant for so long. She's like, I could have given it to you as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. So I go to my doctor and I say, you know, and we all have the same doctors, which is great. So my, she knows everybody's history. But then I mentioned that, that I had blood in my stool and she's like, well, that's a different story. She's like, well, let's send you for the H pylori test, which I did have. Um, and she's like, but that blood in your stool. And again, like I had I brushed it off. I have three kids. Probably, like, I'm like, oh, it's probably a hemorrhoid. Like, it's you it's know. actually an easy. That's an easy. Like, I know that when you get to a space when there's blood in your stool, that is definitely a different alarm. Yeah. But somebody who's had kids, let alone twins, yeah. Like, that's. I mean, hemorrhoid. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. All of us. We've had that. Exactly. I was like, par for the course. I've had them since I had my daughter. Um. So we did the test. I got put, oh gosh, the remedy for H. pylori is like five gajillion pills. Mm -hmm. So, and in the meantime, I went to a GI. He was great. And I felt because he was young, he was very open to exploring everything. And I told him my history, you know, my mom has polyps. My dad has polyps. Like my mom's got IBS. It's just, Mm -hmm. at that point, I was like, do I have Crohn's? Do I have colitis? Do I have celiac? Like, I just, I need to figure this out. And so he's like, okay, well, we'll do an endoscopy and a colonoscopy. And at that point, it was July, and I didn't go in for my scope till October. And the amount of guilt that my family doctor had, she thought it was her fault. So when I got my diagnosis later on, she's like, was that me? Did my referral take long? And I'm like, it wasn't you. I actually saw him very quickly after I saw you. It was the wait to get the scope. So now we're fast forward, like... October. It's funny how you remember the exact dates, but October. oh yeah, yep. I went in for my colonoscopy. I thought I'd be knocked out, and I was not. Oh no! Awake. So I was actually out of it for the endoscopy when they go down your throat, which can feel very suffocating. So I was thankful for that. But then I was awake for the colonoscopy. So I actually was awake when he found the growth. And in my mind, I was like, no biggie my mom has polyps. Like it's obviously genetic. And he didn't seem alarmed. He was like, you know, it's big, but it's not big for your age. But how we'll how old were you at the time? Sorry. Um, I was, I was like 35 and a half. Okay. It's young. Okay. I was, and that's why he was concerned. He's like, you're young. So that was the 18th. I get a call and now I've been told, well, you're not going to come back till December 5th for a follow-up. And I'm like, okay. October, like 27th I get a call and they're like you need to come in now I'm like so of course I'm thinking well I've got Crohn's this is awful like that's what's going through my mind um two days before I go in my family doctor called me Mm -hmm. now she's been my family doctor since I was seven years old so at this point this woman's been with me for almost 30 years and she called me at five o'clock 
And she goes, are you home alone? I'm like, yeah, yes. Actually, my husband was minutes away. And she's like, well, I got your, your colonoscopy results. And um, unfortunately, they found cancer. So I, I, I was standing in my foyer and I look at my foyer very differently now because I just, I hit the ground and, you know, I can hear she's trying to reassure me. She's like, I'm not an oncologist. I'm not a GI. I can't, I don't know if there's cancer in just the tip or if the whole thing is cancerous. She goes, I just don't want you to go alone on Thursday to your appointment, which I um, tell everybody that was like the biggest act of compassion she could have ever done for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I've known her since I was a kid. Like, so if you've known someone for 30 years or your patient and you, you know, I think we have a good relationship with her and my family and, and you see, oh shit, like I've known this kid since she was a kid and she has cancer. Mm-hmm. So I end up going to that appointment with my, um, my mom and my husband, and it was like Charlie Brown, like, rah, 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 rah. like, thank goodness they were there. Even if you go level-headed, it's yeah. very, like, even if you're level-headed, I, I experienced this firsthand and my family doctor called me and said, I need your, your husband needs to go with you to this appointment because this is what you're going to hear. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'm all ready for the questions. And I sat down and I'm like, I don't know what he just said. I just yeah. couldn't hear it. So I'm glad you had somebody with you. Yeah. And like my mom was all over it with the questions because actually that was one of the hardest phone calls I had to make was after I got off the phone with my family doctor that I had to call my mom and tell her I had cancer because mm-hmm. my 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 uh, my heart and my gut from the get go said this is a journey you need to share mm-hmm. because I honestly felt like I caught it by fluke. And I, if if someone at 35 with three small children can get cancer, I need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. because self-advocacy is so important. Getting screened earlier is so important. So I knew that I was going to share very quickly with the world that I had cancer. So I had to tell my mom, my dad, my my brother, my aunts and my uncles, they needed to find out from my mouth first before I kind of went to the world. So she came with me and she's, she had all the questions and it was very much a game of hurry up and wait. And he's like, okay, so you're going to come back tomorrow. We're going to do another scope. Uh, we're going to tattoo the area, which I thought was pretty badass. And like, he's going to do some biopsies. Three days after that, I was at a surgeon. Like it was very like, you know, pass me on to the next person very quickly. But then the waiting was like all the tests coming back. Right. So the surgeon, who coincidentally, I walked into his office. I'm like, oh, you removed my appendix a year ago. Hi again. (laughs) So I felt that level of comfort with him because I knew him. And he said, whether or not you're going to have surgery completely depends on how your pathology comes back. That felt like forever. There's nothing like having to wait for that pathology. It's it's mind-blowing how far we've come with medicine. Yet the time that you have to wait for pathology results that's a, that's a lot of time. Did you have to really do a lot of your own personal work, your own mental health work? Because that's a, that's a really challenging time. Yeah. And in that time, while I was waiting, it was my mission in life to find another woman who was going through the exact same thing as me. I'm like, I got to find a lady and she's got to be my age and she's got to have kids and she's got to have colon cancer. And I need to talk to her. Like I just, I needed to talk to someone. Wow. And Again, by like total fluke of whatever beings rule us all, there's an article in the Oakville Beaver about a woman, 36 years old, colon cancer, life was saved by a surgeon. I was like, I need, I need to talk to her. Mm-hmm. So I emailed the hospital, I emailed the Oakville Beaver. I said, I understand privacy, but here's my information. Can you let her know? So she emailed me and we went for coffee and I asked her all the questions and I just felt I felt better knowing the timeline. I felt better knowing what to expect. Um, my my polyp went all over like the GTA. It was here in Oakville. It went to Mississauga. It went to Mount Sinai. It went, I don't even know where it went. Um, and so when it finally came back, uh, my surgeon said, well, there's still a two to 5% chance that uh, it has spread to your lymphatic and your vascular system. And he's like, I understand that's really low. He's like, but if you decide not to have this surgery and in five years there's reoccurrence, you're going to feel really bad for not choosing to do a surgery that you could recover from very quickly because you're young and healthy. 
So I was like, well, what would you do? And he said, I'd get the surgery. Mm-hmm. He's like, we need to eliminate like all chances of it spreading. So that was December 5th. And we already had a surgery in the books just in case. So December 18th, a week before Christmas, I go into the hospital. They removed 15 centimeters of my colon and they a bunch of lymph, lymph nodes as well to do some further pathology. And I remember thinking in recovery, I'm like, this is it. I did it. I beat cancer. And he came in. He's like, okay, so I don't think you need chemo. I'm like, whoa, rewind. <laughs> you oh, told not me laughing. No chemo. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. I was like, you don't just throw that at me. You told me I wouldn't need chemo. Like, what's going on? He's like, well, these are just my assumptions. I can't guarantee anything. So, I mean, luckily, and again, that was... And I get it's slow over Christmas. Doctors aren't in. Labs aren't working at full capacity. So I didn't get my all clear till February. Um, and again, like, I just, I, f- I feel like, what's that Lemony Snicket's show? Like, series of events, you know? I, I found out I was cancer-free. And my grandmother, who had been very ill up until that point, passed away the day after. So, like, I was like, my aunt told her what was going on she's like I don't know how much she really understood because she was like not really lucid it was heart problems and and I'd like to think that she kind of held on to know I was okay mm-hmm. um that's it's like really really heavy on me because she was like such a strong woman like you know single mother all her life came to Canada didn't speak English bought oh, her own no. condo her own car like she was a woman like to be reckoned with so that was February and then the mental health garbage came well you know. <laughs> <laughs> sorry I'm only I'm not laughing at that I just I love you and your expressions I love it okay so let's talk about mental health garbage because yeah. you, you know you and I are I mean we've only had one other interaction where I was on your podcast yeah. morning ish um podcast and I there's something about you and how you speak and how you show up online because you're just real and raw. And that's like, that's my kind of language. That's mm-hmm. my kind of speech. Just forget going around the bush. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the mental health garbage like? Um, and again, this is something that I talk about all the time because I don't think there's enough advocacy for mental health treatment after cancer. Because a lot of people think, well, you've been told you're fine. You should be grateful. Like, you know, oh and, and all that. <laughs> and what people don't understand is that being told you have cancer never leaves you. No. You know, you have those thoughts of why, what did I do? Like, why did it pick me? Um, and I think my mental health stuff came because even though I was told I was okay, I was still in limbo with all the genetic stuff. I was waiting for genetic testing. Because at this point, uh, Credit Valley Hospital in Mississauga had called me and they're like, you need to you need to like interview your parents and figure out who's got what. And so I talked to my mom and I ended up figuring out that my mom's brother has colon cancer and my mom's aunt and her mother have colitis and Crohn's and there's bowel cancer. And I'm like, oh, so I hit the jackpot here. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was that limbo were again waiting for pathology for my genetics to see if I had Lynch syndrome. So oh, Lynch syndrome, yeah, it's connected to colon cancer as well as breast and not ovarian, but there's a third cancer. Wow. Um, so I was waiting to see if I had that. And so I, I, I go into the geneticist and this was before we had the results and she's going through everything and she's like, okay, so if you have Lynch syndrome, we're going to have to look at getting you a hysterectomy in a couple of years. And I'm like, what? And she's like, well, it's all connected to you. Oh, it was uterine cancer. She's like uterine cancer, breast cancer. So I think I was holding immense guilt that I had passed on this like shitty, literally shitty gene to my kids. Mm-hmm. And it was such a heavy guilt because I've already was told well, they're going to have to start getting scopes at 25. So the rule is whatever age your parent is diagnosed at, you'll start getting screened 10 years prior to that. Okay. I didn't, okay. I did not know that. So I guess their medical files are flagged. They're all getting colonoscopies when they're 25. And so I started getting little panic attacks, you know, little ones here and there, one at Ikea, one at HomeSense, like while I was out shopping. Um, 
thankfully, the first time was with my husband, and he suffers from anxiety and depression, so he recognized it right away. He knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't know how to deal. So I coincidentally had a, an appointment with my oncologist, and he goes, how are you doing? I'm like, not good, not great. And so he recommended I go see the oncology social worker. And it's funny, like, I was like, oh, I don't need therapy. No, 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 I'm fine. I'm like a typical normal person. And the stuff she got me to say, I was like, oh, you're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the whole um, imposter syndrome, the whole, do I have the right to say I'm a cancer survivor? I was only stage one colorectal cancer. Um, because believe it or not, there were some people that told me that it wasn't real cancer. Like you. Oh, I was yeah. just going to ask you if somebody said that. It's yep. it's interesting because we always think of imposter syndrome as like, I'm, I'm not as successful as what, or I have a hard time playing in that arena, mm-hmm. but it's amazing. I've never really looked at imposter syndrome from this point of view yeah. from having an illness and having somebody I can't even imagine yeah. saying something to you about that. It was, it was, it took me by surprise when they said it, well, stop talking about it. You don't, you don't even know if it's real cancer. I'm like, oh, pretty sure I do. <laughs> and so that was hard. Because it wasn't a, oh, I'm making this up in my head, Rachel, snap out of it. It was like, people had said this to me. So I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. So we talked a little bit about that. And she's like, you know what? We have a really great group therapy program called the Coping Clinic. And it's cognitive behavioral therapy. I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And I went to the hospital and I parked and I walked by the room and I saw these people in there. I'm like, I'm just going to go home. (laughs) I I don't need this. But I went in and there were nine of us ranging from a 27-year-old male with testicular cancer all the way to a 75-year-old woman with uh, ovarian cancer. And it was all different ages. Um, I'd say about half of us were 35 and under. Um, Actually, maybe even more. I was very shocked because I thought I was going to go in and have therapy with like 80-year-old people. What cancer? And it's I walked in. And I was self, isn't it? That is really an eye opener in itself. It was. It was such an eye opener, and it was supposed to be cognitive behavioral therapy, but it ended up being two hours every Thursday where we just cried and let out all our garbage and just, you know, why did my friends leave me? Why don't people check in on me anymore? Why don't? Why? Why me? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the men were like, you know, my girlfriend left me and, you know, I was too much to take care of. And it really opened my eyes to even see men recognizing women with breast cancer. Like one guy once said, he's like, you know, I wouldn't have known this before, but now as a cancer survivor, he goes, I see how upsetting it is to lose your breasts and your hair because that's your femininity. Hmm. And just to hear everyone just speak so candidly in there. And we did learn things like we did progressive muscle relaxation and we knew how to start building circles of trust and support systems and all that kind of stuff. But it really was mostly unburdening ourselves with all these thoughts of why me? This wasn't fair. Um, Will I ever amount to anything? Well, a common one was I feel like I have cancer stamped on my forehead. That was a big one I felt. I mean, I'm the one that shared it with everyone, but I still felt like, oh, like everyone's talking about me. Like, oh, Rachel's cancer. Did you hear Rachel's cancer? Um, but I mean, since then, it's been better. Um, there are days I go through the whole day and I don't think about it at all. Mm-hmm. There are days where I wake up and I'll start getting ready and like my stomach hurts. I'm like, oh, stupid cancer, right? Like it's, you know, I've got a lot of side effects of my digestion from surgery, um, I still worry about my kids, obviously it's, how could you not? I think that that's, yeah. I think, I think it's, it's good to go through that process and know that, okay, those are normal thoughts. I doesn't change that I have them, but there's nothing wrong with me for having them. I think they're mm-hmm. absolutely normal. Yeah. And I mean, and my kids, you know, they were young when I got diagnosed, the twins were five. My daughter was literally a week shy of turning nine. Mm. It was actually my doctor that said, I suggest you tell your daughter she's going to notice you're going to appointments and you're going to be in the hospital. He's like, maybe not your boys. They just they don't get it yet. Mm -hmm. So we were very open and honest. And we're like, we don't know much at this point. We'll tell you what we know. And I remember being at the grocery store with my son. 
This is already after my surgery, after everything. And he saw the Canadian Cancer Society and he saw the daffodils. And he's like, what is that? And I explained to him, and I'm like, you know, we donate money to help research for cancer so that people don't get sick anymore. And they give you that daffodil so you can wear it. And he's like, oh, mommy, that's what you had, right? I was like, how do you know? <laughs> right? You know though, right? They, they, they pick do. up on things. And every now and then, and it happened on Terry, like the first week of September uh, is Terry Fox week or whatever at school. And uh, last year when they wore their stickers and did their run, they came home, they had their stickers and they're like, this year I ran for my mommy. So then I'm like, oh, I'm crying everywhere. And then this year they were actually virtual during Terry Fox week and they put their class on mute. And one of them turned around and was like, you don't have cancer anymore. Right. And I was like, I'm, I'm okay, buddy. He's like, you're going to be fine. Right. And I was like, I need a moment. <laughs> I just went and yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot for, I think, you know, as going through it in your age and going through the experience period, and then as a parent and as a spouse and all of the things, because it impacts everyone. Like it's just definitely impacts everyone. Absolutely. Like my husband didn't like to talk about it. I think he was just scared of the possibility of having to raise a family without a wife and losing a wife. My dad was in huge denial, just huge denial to the point where my mom lost it on him one day. Mm-hmm. She's like, what's wrong with you? Your daughter has cancer. Like he just like kept, you know, she's fine. She's fine. She's fine. She's fine. Um, my dad's like, um, he's very like, he can be a funny man, but he's um uh, he's very intellectual. He's very smart. He's an engineer. He's a university professor. So he's all like facts, numbers, you know, everything has to fit into a box. So until we didn't know answers, he just kept going. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Drove but my you're mom. also, you're also his daughter and you're also very strong and you're also like that kind of personality. So mm-hmm. probably in his head, he's like, she is fine. She's fine. She's, yeah. she's going to be that. Like, that's just where he could go at the time. Yeah. Absolutely. And it was really, I think, the first time my family, I think both my mom and my dad's side that had been touched by cancer by someone so close. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we had distant cousins, but like here in Canada, all of our family, no one had no one had really been diagnosed with cancer, at least not in my age bracket. Um, I, I had an uncle who had leukemia, but I mean, he was like 80 something years old. Um but someone this young. So I just, I don't think anybody really knew how to handle it Mm -hmm. because I was that loud, boisterous, you know, everybody knew Rachel to try weird crap and just like go on these crazy missions. Um, So yeah, I think it was hard for people to kind of associate that weak disease with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And totally, I think that's what my dad did. Oh, it's, it is, that's a major adjustment for everyone So how do you, like, how do you show up differently now? Like, how did that experience shape you into who you are now? I I definitely think I don't sweat the small stuff anymore. Um, I was a worrier my entire life. Um, My poor, one of my little guys is too. I feel bad for him. But um, I just, I don't sweat the small things. I... I kind of just, I seize the moment. I try not say no as much as I say yes. Um, I'm trying to spend more time with friends. I'm trying to go on more adventures. I'm trying to travel more. Um, I'm just really, really trying to live like a happy, kind life. Um, yeah, and just kind of do what I want. It's 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 daunting to know that yes my cancer could come back i don't know if it's not going to ever or if it will but until that time i need to fit a lot into my life mm-hmm. and i mean i'm very happy if something were to happen to me tomorrow and i were to leave this earth i would be happy with the kind of person that i am and what i've done in my life mm-hmm. um but yeah i'm just i'm trying to make more meaningful connections with people um and just do more good which is probably why you were in this position, because I think you have been able to add such a voice to it and to create an impact with your story by sharing it. So that I honestly, I just honor you for, because I I love when people talk about the things people don't want to talk about. I just Mm -hmm. love it. I think that's exactly what we need more and more of. And when I go in and I look on Instagram, for example, I'm like, there's Rachel. Like, I just (laughs) love how you show up 
I still haven't figured out reels the way that you have. I love your reels, but you show up in such a fun, authentic way that you can just see that she's got this fun personality that is here to love what I have in my life. Mm -hmm. And, And that's, I mean, I dealt with cancer big time with humor. That's just the way that I am. I'm not very often grumpy. Um, I mean, I think my kids would beg to differ, but um, <laughs> just with, exactly just with like friends and neighbors and acquaintances and coworkers. And I'm, I don't ever, not to say that I don't have my bad days mm-hmm. and I don't plaster on fake smiles, but I really work very hard at being happy mm-hmm. and spreading that joy to other people and being funny. I think life is taken way too seriously sometimes. And I think we just need to find more joy and more happiness. And like anybody can ask me, like, what movie do you want to watch? Something that will make me laugh so hard that I cry. Like, that's that's just me. Like, my my girls' weekends with my girlfriends are just, you know, like 48 hours of laughing. That's like laughing is my is my um, medicine. Um, yeah. So I just I just like putting out positivity to everybody. <laughs> I, and that's, I mean, that's something I caught that I, I would have, even though we have crossed paths, that was something that just really was so blatantly obvious. And I loved it. Now, what advice can you give to somebody as far as finding the joy and the happiness in your current situation? And I mean, everybody's got their roadblocks that they go through in life and it could be cancer. It could be a divorce. It could be Whatever it is, I, I think first of all you need an epic support system. 100%. Like you need just people that are ride or die. Like I, I joke around with my husband. I'm like, look, I have nine friends on speed dial that would bury a body. So I'm just telling you, you need, <laughs> you need those kinds of friends in your life because yes. some of them are going to be there to be your, you know, person at appointments. Someone's going to be there to make it. Um, you know, more palatable and and laugh with you. But uh, yeah, you need a support system. That's first and foremost when you're kind of in the thick of it. But just finding the joy is you just you have to find the little things that you. So for me, it was finding the things that cancer couldn't touch. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So like cancer couldn't touch um, how I showed up every day as a coach to my clients. It couldn't touch that. So I could show up every day for my clients and help them in finding a healthy life. And cancer couldn't touch it. Cancer couldn't touch, um, you know, how much I love to knit or crochet. Like I could still physically do those things. So you kind of have to find the things, yeah, that aren't affected by whatever really crappy situation that you're in right now. And like I said before, like even if you're going through a divorce, like, you know, you got to find the things that you still like to do in life, like crafts or cycling or whatever it is. And you have to make sure to schedule them into your day mm-hmm. because it then is, one day will pass by when you don't do something and then two and then three. And then next thing you know, it's a week and you haven't done anything that makes you smile. Mm-hmm. If yeah. it's your job to do that. And I, God, I know that that's a hard one to take on because I had a hard time when I was in that space, but you definitely like it's in your hands. It's in your mm-hmm. hands to do it. I would also say, I find that with your support network, it's really important. I just encourage clients, encourage friends, and like find people who can be in your support network who are going to call you on your shit. Yeah. Like don't call, don't just surround yourself with the people who are like, oh my God, I'm so sorry for you. And I, there's difference, right? There's such a difference there. You want the people who are going to go, really? Like, let's see, you can snap out of this. I know you can. Yeah. How about this? Look at it this way. See, like someone who's going to challenge your thinking and not just feed you in that space. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes that also requires that we do create major change in our social network. Yeah. And that's okay because there's people everywhere. I love how you went out looking for someone who is your age, similar experience, because you want, you were looking for someone that you could relate to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what I kind of do. I tell anybody and everybody, if you know, anybody that's going through what I went through, you throw them my name. I will talk to them because that was the only thing I wanted. So I am talking right now to about three women kind of, you know, really shitty, but going through the same thing that I went through. And I've, I've talked to other women in the past, but I make myself available because I know, I know that's what I so desperately wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. You, you need someone to call you on your shit. Like I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, you are allowed having a pity party. You cannot set up a tent and live there. Oh, 
I use this constantly. Yeah. <laughs> so I love it. I'm like, you can, I call it my pity party um, drive and I can go through the Valley and I'm like in, I'm driving through pity party city. I'm there. And that's okay that we drive through, but pulling over, stopping, buying real yeah. estate, moving in is a choice. That's a different yeah. choice. Yeah. So yeah, I, I did have my friends that I like could commiserate or talk to, but I did have my other friends that are like, oh, well, what's the plan? What's what, what are we going to do now? Like, what are you, are you busy tomorrow? Let's like, I had a lot of friends who wanted to keep me occupied. Let's go shopping. Let's go do this. Um, so yeah, you got to let, cause those are your friends, your friends that sit there and, and like bitch with you. Those aren't your friends. I've had those friends before. Oh, they got me nowhere. Yeah. So have I. And I think we have to go through that and realize that, wait a minute, this isn't changing my circumstances. And I don't want to stay here anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to stay in that pity party city and live there. And I just want to move on. Whereas some people are okay to stay there. And that's, yeah. that's again, no judgment. Um, as you've gone through that process and now what are some of your like absolute non-negotiables that have to fit in your day for you to show up as your best version of yourself? Um, number one is getting up every morning and moving. Um, unfortunately, and it's not an official diagnosis, but after, uh, you know, the cancer dust had cleared, uh, I was experiencing a lot of body pains, um, very similar to what my mom experiences with fibromyalgia. So I went to the doctor and I talked about it and she's like, instead of wasting your time and sending you to specialist, to specialist, specialist, let's just assume you have it. Um, so for me, it means movement every morning. Otherwise, um, I'm in pain. So I get up at 5 a.m. every day. I drink my pre-workout. I do my little karaoke. I listen to my music. <laughs> um, I do my workout. Um, and that's what I need to get in the morning every day to know that I've set myself up to, to show up as my best self. Like I said, music's my therapy. It's, you know, some people read personal development. I listen to Snoop Dogg. Like it's just, it's, <laughs> it speaks to me. I think... Um, music is the poetry that's going on in some people's heads. And, and sometimes music says stuff that hits you in a spot in your heart that you can't say out loud. So the music's saying it for you. Mm. So I, I, you know, I have a playlist I made after I got diagnosed. I called it like my bulletproof uh, playlist, but yeah, I need my movement and I need my music and I need my community of my friends. I have four friends, um, two sets of friends and we both have group chats and we all check in on each other every day and, and having them there to like uh, talk to bounce things off the wall to vent. Um, I know that I can show up at my, as my best self because I can let all the heavy stuff go on them. And then I just go about my day and they, and they're there for it. Mm-hmm. They've told me a million times, nothing is ever too heavy. This is your space. And we hold that space for each other very equally. So yeah, music, movement, friends. That is beautiful. Yeah. And has, how has your experience or challenge been over this past year of, mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely been a year. It's been a, it's almost a year of dealing with the homeschooling and then the, you know, at home learning and COVID and all these things and how, I mean, you must be so grateful you have built that community that helps. Yeah. But I'm sure it's had its moments. Yeah, I mean, I I tell everybody I'm very grateful that my husband and I are still employed. That is not something that we need to worry about, but it's been a hard year mentally. Mm -hmm. I'm a a huge extrovert. I need my people. And, uh, you know, even I'll go to my husband. I'm like, you know, I was thinking of maybe like driving and having a porch visit. And he's like, just do it. I know you. He's Mm -hmm. like, I'm not like you and I don't need it like you, but I know you need it. You need to see your friends. So it was obviously easier in the summer. I could drive to Waterloo and visit my friends and we'd be out on the porch. And we did one girl's weekend where we all quarantined like 14 days before so that we could go away with each other. Um, so we we have been able to keep that up. You know, we use Zoom every morning. We work out together. It's more like 40 minutes of talking and then like 30 minutes of workout. Um, so that's been there. And then the whole homeschooling, I felt like a lot of parents made a decision in September based on very little information. Mm -hmm. So either people were ready to just send them back or there were people like me that have been told over and over and over again by my doctor, you're a cancer patient. You shouldn't be grocery shopping. You shouldn't be doing this. And I'm like, "Uh Oh, (laughs) so I was like, okay, let's keep the kids home. Um, And about a month and a half in, I was like, this was a bad idea. (laughs) I know, but good for you for recognizing it. I totally understand why. 
Yeah. Like, I do understand why. And I think your doctor is trying to make the best suggestion, but I totally at the same time, yeah, yeah, you have to come to a space of going, this, this is not working. And if it is working for a parent who's listening, great. Like yeah. if, I, I actually have a couple of clients whose kids are in our teens in high school and they're saying they're thriving now. They're thriving yeah. being from home. They are like actually thriving, not having to deal with half of the school BS that they do in high school. Yeah. Because some of them love it, whereas some of them are missing the social. So it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. My daughter could have stayed online the whole time. She was doing fine. Mm-hmm. But my little guys who are almost eight years old, oh, God, they were just bothering each other. They're in the same class. So they're both at the same laptop. They're, I, oh. I found them under the table one day. I was like, oh God, this is not. Um, so then we, so, you know, we chose for them to go back and then, you know, <laughs> they're only back for two and a half weeks. And then they're like, well, not going back again. I was like, you, you just took them. So, and while it has been, it has been challenging, I will not say that it hasn't, Mm -hmm. but my husband and I have tried very hard to not ever complain about it in front of the kids, because Mm -hmm. if we start complaining, they'll start complaining. And then we're just not living in a positive house anymore. I, I even told my kids when they went back after, I said, guys, please just try and make the day easy for your teacher. Be helpful. Listen, you know, this is hard for everyone, but they weren't phased. They went back. They're like, we saw so-and-so we had so much fun today. And, but, but I think it's because we keep it positive. We talked that whole week before you're going to get to see, you know, Bob and Joe, and you know, you're going to get to see all your friends again, you you know, get get them really excited instead of going, Oh, how long is this going to last before you get sent back again? And I think there's a lot of power in what you just said there, because that's the, that is to me is the thing is, whereas a lot of people will say, like, how do you communicate with your kids? Cause this is the worst thing that ever happened. And I'm like, mm-hmm. if we continue to call it the worst thing that ever happened, that's all they're going yeah. to keep hearing. So our words are really, really powerful. I mean, who we are, how we show up impacts everyone around us. Kids yeah. included. Yeah. And I, I beg to differ. I, I almost say my kids would say, this is the best year ever. Mm-hmm. We got outside more, you know, in the summer we went up to Georgian Bay and we rented an apartment and we just kind of like, we, we hiked the Bruce trail, like just, we had to get creative with what we could do Yeah, and we got to do a lot of stuff. That's we were outside fun. a lot. And I think the kids will just remember it as the super fun summer. Mm-hmm. That's so yeah. awesome. That is so awesome. I love what you're doing and I love how you're showing up. And I just have a couple, I just love the conversation. So I always appreciate when women, men, people in general show up and be as authentic as possible. So I love that you do that. Absolutely love Thank it. You. Where can people follow you, connect with you? Where's the best place? Um, so I feel like an old lady saying this, but I'm on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> not the place to be anymore. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I yeah. <laughs> so Rachel Carvalho Braga on Facebook and on Instagram, it's Rachel K Braga, all with underscores. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me in my shenanigans. And your podcast? My podcast with my partner, Shannon Moyer Zemenye. I always, oh God, her husband's going to kill me. <laughs> I've known both of them since university, so I feel like I get a pass. But yeah, we started the morning ish back in October, and that's the morning ish podcast on Instagram. It's a great podcast. I love, Thank I just, you. that's like originally how we connected, is I mm-hmm. love how you, you really show up and share. Okay. So I have two quick questions for you. And mm-hmm. the first is, I think I've kind of asked it, but I really want you to tie a bow around it is what impact do you want to create in this world? I kind of call myself the kindness warrior. I just, I really want to leave this place a kinder place than when I got to it. Um, that's very important to me. I, I tell everybody at least five times a week, kindness is free. Mm-hmm. If I can raise kind human beings, that is like what I want to leave on this world. I want to leave this world having made an impact where I was nice to people. I was kind to people. I helped people. Um, and I want to speak up for those that can't speak up for themselves, you know. So getting involved with mental health and cancer was very important to me. So I'm very active actually with the Trillium Health Partners, which are the three hospitals in Mississauga. Um, my daughter and I have raised money. We've sold scrunchies. We've donated it all to them and and made sure that it goes to mental health. But 
100% since the cancer, I've, I've made this huge pivot where, yes, I'm a health and wellness coach. Yes, I can help people lose weight and all that stuff. But I've really kind of turned the other cheek. And I'm like, this is like, you, you got to take care of yourself for your mental health. Mm-hmm. So I want to leave this world letting, letting people know that a, it's okay to have mental health issues. It's not taboo. You shouldn't hide it, sweep it under the rug. That's how people suffer in silence. Mm-hmm. Um, but to advocate for those people to ask for help um, and to know that it's okay. And it's going to be a battle that you likely, you know, fight your whole life. You know, it's not like you snap your fingers or take some drugs or go to the therapist and everything's fine again. But you just got to, you got to work on yourself day in and day out to make sure that you're okay. So yeah, I think, my two big things are just being kind and um, mental health matters big time. Thank you for doing that because I think that we have, we we've done so much as far as mental health goes, but we have so far to go. I just think we have so far to go because in knowing that it impacts so many of us on a regular basis, it's not a case of, you know, it's not a stereotype anymore. It's, it really has impacted a lot of us. And I, I appreciate that you do that. Thank you. Last question I have for you mm-hmm. is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Almost every episode I do, there's this pause of like, Ooh, that's what a lesson in life. Am I most grateful for? I think that I can do hard things. I- I'm, um, yeah, you know what? I, I I left university. I couldn't find a job in what I went to school for. And I just felt like I was going to have this very simple life of taking care of my kids and just going about my day. And I think the biggest lesson is that I can, I can do big, hard things. Um, and whenever I get in that moment, you know, like Shannon's brought up doing merch for our podcast, and I'm like, oh, that means we're getting bigger. Like that stuff scares me. But then I'm like, hold on, Rachel you beat cancer. Mm-hmm. Check yourself. Yeah. This is just merchandise. Like you can, <laughs> you can do it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that I can do hard things and look, I might fall on my face, but it's a lesson learned. But I mean, falling in your face is to me is just, it's so worth it in a sense of yeah. compared to standing still, like standing yeah. still and going, what, what if well, I wonder what that might've been or regrets. It's just so much better to just try. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to live my life and and say, oh, I didn't do anything exciting or I regret not trying that. Mm-hmm. That That's, you know, I, I can't remember who said it to me. It was actually just a couple of weeks ago. Like I want to, I want to die having made a million mistakes. Oh yep. yeah. I, and that's gold. That is absolutely gold on a saying and it ended on that. I love that. Thank you so much for everything so that you do. And thank you for being here and for being so open and vulnerable with your story because I know it will land and impact someone else. Anytime. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.